It's 11 o'clock, I'm Steve Dunthorne. Tonight's headlines, bars, saunas and nightclubs are again ordered shut, but authorities say there can't be a blanket ban on dance classes and clubs. Of 80 new COVID cases reported today, 54 are linked to the growing dance cluster, and the chief executive says diners could eventually be made to use the government's contact tracing app. Bars, nightclubs and saunas have been ordered to close again as the authorities struggle to contain a new wave of coronavirus infections. But, as Richard Pine reports, the government isn't imposing a blanket ban on all dance classes and schools, even though they're the source of a growing cluster of COVID patients. The mandatory closures take effect from Thursday. For local bars, it'd be the third time they've had to close due to the pandemic. Anthea Cheung is the director of the Lan Kwai Fong Association. We don't know what to do. We follow every single measure. Yeah, as no case is being found in our center, right? But we still is the one to blame. Nightclubs and saunas will also be shut, while live performances, including dance, are banned. But health chief Sophia Chan says a blanket ban of dance clubs and classes isn't feasible because not all of them are licensed. The number of people per table at restaurants remains at four, but from Thursday, banquets can only be held for up to 40 people. This, says Simon Wong from the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades, could hit larger restaurants hard. A lot of restaurants might have to close down. or close down temporary as a lot of banquets might be cancelled or changed their schedule to later date. Sophia Chan also says companies are encouraged to allow their staff to work from home again and people should stay at home and avoid gathering with family and friends or dining out. Meanwhile, health authorities confirmed 80 new COVID-19 cases today. 54 of those are connected to the dance cluster, which has ballooned to almost 190 cases in total. Authorities are warning that this number could rise further, as some of the infected patients had previously visited places like a community centre in Taiwan, as well as the Shatin and Shengshui city halls for dancing. An additional 50 preliminary positives were also reported. The president of the medical association, Choi Kin, doesn't think the government's new anti-epidemic measures will be effective. They are not enough. I don't think they're enough. I think they can do nothing about some of the dancing schools and the type of quarantine for those who return from Europe or the States or other places where infection rate is high. It's not enough. There's no special vehicle to transport these people. I think uh, there's much more to, to be done. Federation of Trade Unions lawmaker Alice Mack agrees that the limited closures aren't enough. She thinks it's time for drastic measures like mandatory universal COVID tests and a full lockdown, a move she says has wide public support. If we don't take effective and drastic measures to contain the pandemic, our economy will get worse. We hope that our people can live in Hong Kong peacefully and in harmony. So we need to recover our economy as soon as possible. And how to use effective measures to contain the uh, spread of the virus and to control the pandemic is very crucial. Uh, no matter how controversial the measures are, I hope our, our government can show the determination. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, says that the government's coronavirus contact tracing app could be made mandatory at restaurants. But she says the public won't be forced to use it and people can simply choose not to eat out if they don't want to be tracked. Damon Pang reports. The CE says the government has already decided to force restaurants and other premises to sign up for its coronavirus contact tracing app, Leave Home Safe. 
At this point, customers can choose to take part by scanning QR codes at the different venues, or not if they don't want to. But Mrs. Lam says this could change in future. Of course, after adding this QR code, it doesn't mean all customers will use it. We hope initially that this would be on a voluntary basis. But if necessary, we could require people entering these places to use the app and record their whereabouts. The CE also says residents and workers at care homes will soon be made to have COVID tests, and if any staff refuse, they won't be able to work. Damon Pang with that report. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is just coming up to five minutes past 11. The Chief Executive, Kerry Lam, is tempering expectations for the policy address she will deliver tomorrow, saying many mainland-related initiatives can't be put into place immediately and most policies won't involve any new spending. Violet Wong reports. This year's policy address was originally scheduled for October the 14th, but with just two days to go, Kerry Lam unexpectedly announced that it was being postponed to give her time to travel to Beijing to ask for help with Hong Kong's economic recovery. It is clear to everyone that if we want our economy to bounce back, there is no better place than the mainland of China for us to tap into. Mrs. Lam said her fourth policy address will feature initiatives involving support from Beijing, but which cannot be implemented until Hong Kong has the coronavirus pandemic under control and cross-border travel resumes. They may not be immediate measures, but they are the measures which will help Hong Kong's economy to grow and hence give Hong Kong people more confidence at this difficult time. The CE said there will be 200 new proposed measures this year, but she said many of them won't involve additional taxpayer money, being as the government is facing a huge deficit this year, which she said could be as high as $310 billion. Mrs Lam also dismissed concerns that her her administration won't be able to hear opposition voices now that the pan-democrats have all quit LegCo. She says that the legislature is now a more rational platform for officials to discuss policy with lawmakers. She added that she's also ready to reach out to hear Hong Kongers' views. The third suspect to be charged with violating the national security law has been remanded in custody after appearing in court today. Marchand Mann is accused of inciting secession for allegedly chanting slogans calling for Hong Kong independence. Cecil Wong has a story. The 30-year-old food delivery worker was defiant as he was led away by police from the courtroom, shouting, spread the word, democracy is cultivated with blood and sweat, as he was remanded in custody. Prosecutors say Marchand Mann was arrested seven times by police between August the 15th and November the 22nd, and that he had chanted slogans calling for Hong Kong's independence. Defense lawyers said Mr. Ma lost his job last month and lived at home with his parents and brother. Their request for bail was denied, and the defendant was remanded into custody until his next court appearance in February. More than 30 people have now been arrested under the national security law, and three people have now been charged. 
Tong Ying Kit was the first national security suspect taking the court. He allegedly drove a motorbike into police while flying a pro-independence flag on July the 1st and is accused of terrorism and secession. The second was Tony Chung, a 19-year-old former independence activist charged with secession for comments he allegedly made on social media. All three were denied bail under a controversial rule set out in the new law. Article 42 of the law states that bail must be denied unless the judge or magistrate has sufficient grounds for believing that the criminal suspect or defendant will not continue to commit acts endangering national security. The Court of Final Appeal is hearing a legal challenge over the ban on masks at protests that Chief Executive Carrie Lam declared last year. A group of pan-Democrats are seeking to overturn a lower court's ruling that the ban was only partially unconstitutional, while the government is also challenging that decision. Candice Wong reports. The chief executive invoked the emergency regulations ordinance in October last year for her mask ban. But the high court later ruled that the ban was unconstitutional before the court of appeal found it was only constitutional to prohibit the wearing of masks at unauthorized assemblies, but not legal demonstrations. Unhappy with their partial victories, both the government and a group of pro-democracy figures are challenging the latest ruling. Senior counsel Gladys Lee, who is representing the pandems, told the five-judge panel that the emergency powers that Chief Executive Carrie Lam invoked are like a missile launcher that gives the government unrestricted power to do whatever it wants. Ms Lee said it's up to the chief executive to determine what contributes an occasion of emergency or public danger, and this could give rise to abuse. Another lawyer for some of the activists, senior counsel Johannes Chen, told the court that the scope of the mask ban is too wide as it could cover those who are simply passing by a protest but not taking part in it. Senior counsel Benjamin Yu is expected to put forward the government's arguments on the second day of the hearing. Now to the trial of a University of Hong Kong professor in connection with the killing of his wife. The prosecution and defence have offered conflicting views of Chiang King, sorry, Chiang Kai Chung and their closing arguments. Here's Priscilla Ng. Prosecutors described the defendant as a cold-blooded man who was well aware of what he was doing, while the defense argued that he's softly spoken and a gentle man. In its closing argument, the prosecution dismissed claims by the defense lawyer that the former associate professor of mechanical engineering had lost control of himself in the killing two years ago. The prosecution told the high court that the defendant had behaved in a calm and rational manner before, during and after the killing, and there was no evidence to suggest that his state of mind was substantially impaired at the time. The defense, for its part, said many witnesses, including the former academic's own children, testified that he had never used violence against anyone. The defense also said the defendant was subject to chronic psychological abuse from his wife over a long period of time and was suffering an abnormality of the mind. The defense stressed the possibility that his mental responsibility had been impaired cannot be ruled out. The defendant has pleaded not guilty to murder but admitted manslaughter. His wife, Chen Wai Man, was strangled in the bedroom of their home in August 2018. Tomorrow, the judge will give directions to the seven-member jury, which will then retire and decide the defendant's fate. Hundreds of flights out of Shanghai's Pudong International Airport were cancelled today as the city raced to bring a local coronavirus outbreak under control. Natalie Cheng has more. 
State media reports that more than 7,700 airport staff have been swapped by Monday. The testing drive was triggered by a cluster of COVID-19 cases in Shanghai, which was linked to cargo handlers. The seven local infections linked to the airport in the last month were mostly uncovered in the last few days. More than 500 flights out of Pudong Airport were called off, nearly half of the day's scheduled flights. Almost half of inbound flights were also cancelled. Nearly half of all flights were also cancelled at Tianjin International Airport in the country's north. The port city is testing around 2.6 million people to try to bring a local cluster under control. Tianjin has reported six local cases since Saturday. The handover from Donald Trump to Joe Biden has officially begun three weeks after the U.S. presidential election. In a tweet, Mr. Trump acknowledged that the transition had started, but he said he would continue to challenge the outcome of the poll. The BBC's Gary O'Donoghue in Washington says it's a significant step for Mr. Biden's team. What's really important is the access to individuals in the administration, the access to data, the access to intelligence briefing, and in particular, of course, access to COVID data. They were warning that they may end up being months behind in terms of distribution of any vaccine if they didn't get that kind of access to individuals and data. Now they're going to get it, which should mean they should be able to hit the ground running properly on January the 20th when Joe Biden becomes president. The developers of Russia's Sputnik coronavirus vaccine say it will sell for less than $20 for two doses. That's cheaper than its American rivals, but more expensive than the Oxford University jab. The makers say interim analysis of data indicates that the vaccine is 95% effective. The BBC's Naomi Grimley reports. Russian researchers are basing their efficacy calculations on 39 positive cases of COVID-19 in their clinical trials of more than 18,000 people. Eight were in the vaccine group compared to 31 cases in the placebo group. But there's been scepticism from many scientists around the world who worry the trials were too rushed compared with those of the other front runners. So much will hinge on when the final results are published in an international medical journal. The EU's aviation safety regulator says it intends to approve the return to service of Boeing's 737 MAX plane after it was grounded last year following two deadly crashes. The regulator said after conducting its own thorough review, it's concluded the modified version is now safe to fly. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Bars, saunas and nightclubs are again ordered shut, but authorities say there can't be a blanket ban on dance classes and clubs. Of 80 new COVID cases reported today, 54 are linked to the growing dance cluster. And the chief executive says diners could eventually be made to use the government's contact tracing app. The news from RTHK. RTHK, Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. The government has ordered bars, nightclubs and saunas to close again from Thursday as Hong Kong battles a fourth wave of coronavirus infections. But there's no blanket ban on dance classes, the source of scores of recent COVID-19 infections. 54 of 80 new cases reported today are of people who had recently been to dance venues. Our reporter Damon Pang gave more details of the new measures to Anna-Marie Evans. 
businesses that will be shut include, as you mentioned, bars and nightclubs and uh, saunas. They will be shut from Thursday midnight for seven days. Live performances and dance activities at clubhouses and venues listed in the government's so-called anti-epidemic scheduled premises will also be banned. Party rooms, they are already shut over the weekend. They will also remain closed. But karaoke lounges can remain open. Uh, earlier in the day, some reports indicated that they would have to close as well, but they are they can open. The government also said that rules for banquets are also tightened. They are allowed to hold only 40 people. Uh, the health minister, Sophia Chen, also said the limit of public gatherings will stay at four people, and four people will also be allowed at table at restaurants. So both rules are remain the same. Now, some dance classes at specific venues are already banned, but there's no blanket ban at all venues, is there? No, there's not. Um, as mentioned, uh, Sophia Chance only said that dancing at the uh, uh, for those listed in the government's anti-epidemic uh, anti schedule premises are banned. So reporters ask her, uh, is dancing in gym rooms okay? But gym rooms supposedly should be uh, under the schedule premises. Uh, she was also asked whether people can dance outdoor, if people can be dancing in studios. But she, uh, the, the minister said uh, they are basically not banned. So uh, dancing in those places can continue. And how about working from home arrangements? Any news on that front? Right. The minister said uh, companies are encouraged to allow uh, staff to work from home again. And if workers must go to the office, they should adopt flexible working hours to avoid overcrowding in public transport. She also stressed that uh, the government has issued a guideline to departments that they can follow work from home. Uh, she, uh, Besides working from home, she also urged the people to stay at home as much as possible, avoid gathering with uh, families and friends, uh, and, not, and then people should not be dining out as much as possible. Uh, this is the appeal from the uh, minister because she said the transmissions within families are very strong in this fourth wave. So people should try to uh, be vigilant and uh, avoid uh, unnecessary uh, gatherings with uh, people outside their own family. The bar industry says it's being unfairly targeted by the new measures. The director of the Lan Kwai Fong Association, Anthea Jung, says that since the closure is likely to be extended, it could lead to up to half of the city's 1,400 licensed bars closing their businesses. She spoke to Timmy Sung. All these uh, recent cases that we find in Hong Kong are uh, important cases, including some dancing club clusters. And uh, there's no one case is fine in bar or even from the club. We've been um, following very closely, and um, all our members, including all the, uh, just like the license uh, bars and clubs, they follow very um, uh, closely on uh, the anti-pandemic uh, uh, regulations and also the social distancing measures as stipulated by the government. But uh, what we uh, now can see is the government, the first action, is to close all the bars and clubs which are under the license of uh, that that are re issued by the Hong Kong government. So we really feel um, we we are very passive. We don't know what to do because uh, we follow uh, from now and then every measure, single measures, and we are very doing very good job. Yeah, as no case is being found in our sector, right? And what we can do, we really want to ask the government. Do you think it's unfair to the bar industry? 
Of course, it is very unfair. And um, we just think we are in a very um, passive uh, position because no matter what we have done, and we have shown our determination, and we have executed all the um, measures, and also to follow very closely of uh, every single regulation, but we still uh, is the one to blame. How will that affect uh, the business? I think the business is so bad, and um, we have already launched all our uh, uh, Christmas over, and yeah, maybe more than 50% of our outlets will be closed, because uh, just like uh, it's our high season in the past, and usually uh, we get our revenue mostly from this uh, high season. As you can um, see, we've been um, asked to close for business from April to, to May, and then from um, mid-July uh, to September, and now ask us to close for business. So how can we survive under this situation? Do you expect a lot of uh, bars may be closed because, delayed, because of the latest closure? You also um, uh, learned from the government that they won't issue any the employment support scheme yeah, after uh, end of November, and then uh, we just rely on our own. And then just like uh, we've been uh, asking all the, uh, just like the financial support or, or maybe the loan, yeah, from our fam families and also maybe friends to support our business. And now the government asks us to close again and without any support. And all our industry members would love to talk to the government and ask for the subsidies. An IT expert says the government's coronavirus contact tracing app likely won't be terribly effective unless its scope is expanded far beyond restaurants. Francis Fong, Honorary President of the Hong Kong Information Technology Federation, was speaking after the Chief Executive, Carrie Lam, said that Leave Home Safe app could be made mandatory for people who want to dine at restaurants. Mr Fong told Jim Gould, even if this step is taken, there would still be too many people and places left uncovered. The effectiveness of the, uh, this uh, Leave Home Safe app actually depends on three criteria. Number one, you have to have a lot of people using it. So now the government is considering to uh, uh, force uh, every single season to use it. So that's number one criteria. You need to have a lot of people uh, to download it and use it. Uh, but the problem is there are people that doesn't have a smartphone or the smart is, is all the, uh, is the app compatible with all the smartphones. So that's number one. Number two, you have a lot of places, every single places that need to have this living safe QR code so people can scan it. Um, you see the problem right now is they're trying to have the restaurant to have this QR code, but, but what, when, you, when you look at the, uh, the previous cases in, in these uh, dancing clubs, uh, there are many other places like that, so it's not only restaurants. Or, so my suggestion is actually if the government really wanted to have all the venue, they have this QR code, it's better based on the, uh, the BR, the, the business registration and all the branches. But there will be like uh, maybe uh, a couple of hundred thousand uh, places that need to have this QR code. Number three, um, still even you have downloaded the app, there are a lot of places that have this QR code. The, the people still have to scan it every time yeah. when you go to here and there. So imagine if we have to do it on a bus because we are 
been burst uh, from, say, for example, from Tianwen to uh, uh, Kowloon Tong for like an hour. So we are we are in an enclosed environment for like an hour. So every time you get on bus, you need to scan it. Is it try? We we create a problem of queuing up uh, during you get on the bus and get off the bus. So there are a lot of problems that it may occur actually. So but but there, this is the three criteria. So, needs, so that the app will be effective. W- would you expect then that uh, that using the app will become compulsory in the future? Uh, I think uh, the, the government can put up law so that the people will have to compulsory uh, use it. That the problem is how to how to monitor the whole thing. I mean, you have to have people standing in all sorts of different area, different venues, restaurants, so that people can monitor. So, so you have to be. Do, the series have to do it by yourself. Otherwise, if we we need all the security guys or police to look look after all these places, I think it's quite impossible to do it. Mm. The government has stressed that de- data won't be collected centrally. Um, I mean, should people who have concerns about privacy be reassured? Uh, when you just look at the app so far, uh, because. Um, you only need to um, scan the QR code. The app itself will not, as the government said, will not upload anything until you uh, become a confirmed case. So you register yourself and upload all the places that you have been been to. Uh, otherwise, no privacy data will be uploaded. That's what the government says. Hmm. So, I mean, is there any possibility that it could be used for surveillance and keeping track on people's movements? Uh, uh, just look at the app, uh, the possibility is not very, very high, mm. yeah. Mm. Until you upload the, uh, all your places that you have been to when you become a confirmed case. Yeah, and then you upload the, uh, your, your data into to a CHP. You mentioned uh, earlier the fact that uh, some people don't even have a smartphone, so what about them? Uh, I don't know. It's just like, it's just like when the analog TV stops, uh, the, the government have to provide them a digital TV or a digital tuner. So, uh, is it the government going to provide uh, a smartphone to the citizen that doesn't have a smartphone or they are, they are low income group that does, uh, cannot afford to have a smartphone or the data? Because the app itself, when you scan the QR code or you uh, take a photo and OCR the uh, taxi uh, license plate, it doesn't need internet. But the, the, the thing is, every day the app will download the confirmed list of the venues hmm. that you need internet. So um, th- there are people already complaining about that. I don't have a smartphone or I don't have internet or whatever. So I think those uh, uh, groups of people have to be taken care of. The Chinese-American cellist Yo-Yo Ma conceived Silk Road in 1998. He brought together musicians from the lands of the ancient Silk Road to perform with and learn from each other, highlighting how music can transcend all kinds of boundaries. More than two decades on, the baton is now passed on to Rhiannon Giddens, an activist and musician who's helped revive the tradition of black American string bands. As Silk Road's new artistic director, Ms. Giddens says she wants to start a project devoted to the labourers of the Transcontinental Railroad of North America in 1800. In her words, the American Silk Road. She spoke to the BBC's Lawrence Pollard. We know that the workforce comprised of the folks that society at the time considered throwaway people. 
a lot of them are immigrants, forced immigrants. So we're talking about African Americans, a lot of Chinese, Irish, and other European immigrants. It's this massive group of people creating the structure of the economic story of America. What do we know about how they rubbed along? What sort of culture came out of that work experience and also that mixing experience? Well, this is what's very interesting to me is what we know a lot about African-Americans and Irish. We do know a fair amount about how they would have been rubbing shoulders, especially along the waterways. And so you have these situations where music is being exchanged and that's been documented, you know, and it's starting to be talked about a lot more. But the central part of this that we don't know a lot about and what I'm hoping to investigate is to the Chinese part of that equation. It's like they've been disappeared. You described very vividly all these different groups as throwaway groups. And yet, because of the power of the blues music that comes out of this amazing mixing and melting pot, sort of African-American music and Irish music and Scottish hymns, something emerges which we know about. But what's happened to the Chinese element of that? Because surely they would have had work songs and, and leisure songs just in the same way that the blacks and the Irish did. Is that a safe assumption? I think so, but this is what we need to investigate. I think we also underestimate the amount of mixing that went on. And there's a great black fiddler. Well, his nickname was Louis Bluey. It's, it's uh, Howard Armstrong. He went through this whole period of the 20s and 30s. And what he talked about was like, when you went to a party, you played anything that was at the party. If it was a Chinese party, you learned Chinese. I was live center going, oh, can I interview you right now? Wow. What song was it? You know, I mean, he's mentioned that specifically and he said he knew a Chinese song. And I was just like, oh, my God, that little bit had been in my mind. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Steve Dunthorne from our newsroom. Fight the virus. Stay vigilant. If you think you have a higher risk of COVID-19 exposure or experience discomfort, you can collect specimen bottles for free testing from designated public clinics. Meanwhile, the government will arrange free testing for targeted groups. To minimize the risk of community transmission, we should take the initiative to get tested. Together, we must fight the virus. Stay vigilant. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Moments to remember, absolutely, from now, from now until 1am. The theme from Love Story, Johnny Pearson Piano, 
and his orchestra.